500 years, the Reformation... I wonder what we're going to have for lunch today. Um, 500 years, the Reformation, and i got to get a new inspection sticker on my car, and those reimbursements are behind at work, and I need to head to the pharmacy. 500 years, the Reformation, and why I need to get home and clean up my house before community group tonight. Um, Let's face it, with all the things that are going on in our lives, current events, stresses of family, even the good things of Christian growth and church life, it's hard for us to really believe, to think that what happened in the Reformation 500 years ago really makes any difference in our lives today. We may think, but we probably never say it. 500 years, the Reformation, does it really matter? I mean, it's been 500 years, right? So does it make any difference? And this morning, I want to help you believe that what happened 500 years ago does matter, not just for theologians, not just professors uh, or seminary students. It matters for you and it matters for me, for teenagers, for people who are single or married, for children, uh, for pastors, parishioners, all sorts of people, what happened matters. And here's, here's why. One of the main questions that folks in the Protestant Reformation tackled, one of the questions that they wouldn't let go of was this one. How can we be made right with God? What about our sins? What about our guilt? What about my shame? What will happen to me when I die? Those are important questions. They're questions that meant something then, and they're questions that mean something now. And those are questions that were asked and answered in the Reformation. See, here's what happened, at least part of the story. They grew out of a rediscovery, a return to the essence of biblical Christianity, particularly a return to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's beautiful to see how this happened. In the late 15th century and early 16th century, folks started to translate the Bible into the common language of the people, French, German, English. And as folks started to read and study and hear the word of God preached in their own language, it began to transform their lives. That's what we talked about a few weeks ago, sola scriptura. And as God's word became a more important part of people's lives, they realized that Jesus Christ is the focal point of the Bible. Solus Christus. And as people started to see from the Bible that it's all about Jesus, they realized that the message of the gospel of Christ is by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. These are things that they, they rediscovered. And so this morning I want us to think about grace alone. What does it really mean? What is it all about? And I want to... I want you to believe, I want us to believe together that it does matter. It matters for us today. So the first thing I want us to see is setting the stage for salvation by grace alone. 
Setting the stage is hugely important. If you were uh, in an actor's guild and you were ready for the play and the stage wasn't set, the actors wouldn't be ready. If you were building a house and you didn't take time to get the foundation right, then the construction wouldn't be right. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the Holy Spirit used the Apostle Paul to set the stage for salvation by grace alone. And the story that's painted in these first few verses of Ephesians 2, it's a story of humanity, it's a story of the Ephesians, it's a story of believers throughout history. This is us. And it may be hard to swallow, but when we're honest with ourselves, we know that what these verses say are true. They are an honest, sober assessment of life without Christ, of life before Christ. And Paul is telling the Ephesians and he's telling us throughout history, this is what you were. This is what your life used to be like. In order to appreciate the love and grace of God, we have to set the stage. We have to be honest about what's wrong with us. What are some of the things that characterize life apart from God, life without Christ? Let's look at the passage and actually look at verses 3, verse 3, then verse 2 and verse 1. We'll kind of work backwards. Verse 3 says this, you are children of wrath. In light of God's righteousness and holiness, mankind stands guilty before Him. This is why I believe so many people are looking for acceptance so badly. It's not enough to live and let live. People want to be affirmed and celebrated in their lives. Why? One of the reasons I believe is that folks have this sense of guilt and shame deep down. Do you remember what this was like? Being a child of wrath, this is part of the story moving towards salvation. It's all part of setting the stage for salvation by grace alone. Look at also what the passage says. You were living in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the flesh and the mind outside of Christ, before Christ. Our lives were characterized by living for ourselves, particularly the passions of the flesh. Look at verse 3 as well and into verse 2. You followed the prince of the power of the air. That's another way to say Satan, the devil. This is not saying that before Christ you consulted with the devil before you did everything. Satan isn't looking for people to follow him by wearing big pentagrams on their shirts. He simply wants us to live our lives for ourselves. Ourselves as the main focal point as our lives and you are following the course of this world the prince of the power of the air you were living as if you were the center of the universe that's one of the things that is demonstrated here in setting the stage that's one of the things that marks life outside of christ and this can be demonstrated in the obvious outward things where people destroy their lives by living in and for sin, but it can also be demonstrated by people who walk in respectable things. They're pretty nice folks. They volunteer in the community and they're part of the PTA, but without submission to Jesus Christ, surrender to Christ, those things are expressed here as 
rebellion to him. This is all setting the stage for salvation by grace alone. And it's an important message. And then we, we finish where Paul started in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is the picture, this is the reality that the Bible paints of women and men outside of Christ. We're not just sick with sin. There's not a small infection and we need some spiritual antibiotics. The message is clear. We are physically alive, but spiritually dead. This is the picture of the heart and the soul before Christ. By nature, folks are spiritually dead. Sin hasn't just messed up the world a little bit. It's not just a topical problem. It's a systemic problem. Problem and our hearts and our minds and our wills have been affected. What this passage and other passages teach is that before Christ, outside of Christ, we're spiritually dead, going our own way, trying to run our own lives, walking and living in sin. This matters now. We've seen it and we've sensed it the bondage, the hopelessness, the slavery, the emptiness. Of life without Christ, and it's summarized as spiritual death. Maybe you know folks who are there now. Maybe you're here this morning, and an honest assessment, you're like, I wonder if this is where I am now. This assessment may hurt. It's not easy to talk about. It's not sweet or cute or fun, but this is part of the way that God sets the stage for salvation. By grace alone through Jesus Christ. So first of all, that's setting the stage. Secondly, surprised by salvation by grace alone. You ever been... Well, sometimes there are good surprises. Sometimes there are bad surprises. When your brother jumps out from behind the door and scares the tar out of you, that's not a good surprise. When the police officer steps out from behind the bushes and points at you and says, Come here you were speeding through the school zone, uh, that's not a very nice surprise. There are good surprises, like, oh, there's $5 I found on the, on the sidewalk. But then, there are awesome, mind-blowing, incredible surprises in our lives. When a huge debt is forgiven, when you receive mercy, when all you thought you would receive is judgment. Those are the kind of surprises that sometimes make us break down in tears because we're so overwhelmed with joy and hope. Salvation by grace alone, the message in the Bible, is is one of those surprises. It's one of those mind-blowing, earth-shattering, good news surprises that we could ever imagine. And it is set up by the bad news. It's set up by we're sinners, we're dead in our sins, we've lived for the world and Satan and ourselves, but God. That's what this passage says. Look at verse 4 with me. But God. I feel like I need to call Woody up here to tell you that. Uh, But God. All was lost. Hope was gone. Nothing but shame and brokenness and sin and spiritual death. But God. 
Even though we didn't deserve His mercy, even though we could never pay back the debt that we owe to God, but God. Part of the surprise of salvation we see from Ephesians 2 is that we're surprised by the new birth. If we're spiritually dead, then as Jesus said, we need to be born again. What did he say in John chapter 3? Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And verse 4 says it like this, God made us alive together with Christ. Salvation by grace alone is rooted in the new birth. And that's not of our own efforts. Notice it doesn't say, but we. It says, but God. Not, but we figured everything out and came up with a game plan. But we got our lives on track by trying harder and doing better. Notice that it doesn't say, but I decided to make a change and put my life back on track. If you're a Christian here this morning, this passage reminds us that it's because God invaded your life. Because God invaded your life with His love. It's because of what He's done from beginning to end. He made us alive. He's rich in mercy. And we're talking about extravagant, overwhelming, embarrassing mercy. Have you ever received a gift before that is so big and so wonderful and awesome that it just made you feel weird? Like, the first thing that you want to say is, I can't accept this. It's... It's too much. It's too big. Even to where you feel embarrassed that someone would give you a gift so wonderful and powerful. Surprise. God loves you. He loves you so much that He's breathed life into your spiritually dead soul. He makes us alive so that He can lavish His love and grace upon us. It's by grace alone. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together in Christ. Peter says it this way, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Against all odds, despite the facts, even though, but God made us alive. Being surprised by salvation by grace means being surprised by the new birth. What a nice surprise. What a life-changing, world-altering, soul-invigorating, mind-blowing surprise. That God would breathe life into our dead souls. But part of being surprised by grace alone is not just being surprised by the new birth, it's being surprised by a relationship with God. You know what Adam, Abraham, was referred to throughout the Bible? People said, Abraham, the friend of God. You ever had a friendship that's so sweet and such a blessing that you just stopped and you thanked God that you have someone that you can connect with personally caring for you, a relationship that you have that's so powerful. Salvation is by grace alone, but you know what? God does not leave us alone. We're born again and He moves closer to us 
And that's just the beginning. God doesn't reluctantly forgive us and then say, okay, okay, you're forgiven, just stay out of the way. Don't bother me, leave me alone, I'll forgive you. It's not like that. God loves us, he forgives us in Christ Jesus, and the gospel story is one of forgiveness and acceptance and adoption into his family. It's one of the sweet, it's one of sweet and deep communion with God through Christ, where we're united to him in such a real and powerful way that this passage says that we're seated with him in the heavenly places. It's a dear and personal and growing friendship and relationship where God has compassion on us and he sympathizes with our our weaknesses and he cares for us and God doesn't give up on us. And that's not something that's simply in the abstract. God literally walked on the earth. He wept. His feet hurt. He was sad. In agony, he sweat great drops of blood at the prospect of the looming cross. He was crucified. He suffered. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. All for us. So that we could have a living and powerful relationship with Him. Where He sympathizes with our weaknesses and He raises us up with Him. He gained the victory and He wants to share that victory with us. I feel like I use this illustration all the time. And I'm sorry. But it's kind of like the team that wins the championship or the guy that wins the Masters. And what's the first thing that he wants to do? He goes and he kisses his wife. He grabs his son. He, he hugs his mom because he won the victory, but he wants to share it with those that are dear and near to him. That's one of the beautiful things of Christianity. Jesus didn't just save us from our sins, but we are surprised by grace alone salvation because he wants to share it with us. I think one of the things about Christianity, one of the ways we grow is coming to terms with and learning the rest of our lives what it means that God really loves us. And the purpose of this grace is demonstrated in verse 7. There's a, there's a goal of what God has done and is doing in us. It's so that in the coming ages He may show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God's love for us is so great in the Gospel. It's so profound that we'll be coming to terms with it for the rest of eternity. We get a taste of it now, but it will grow and flourish and blossom within us forever. It's kind of like a, a great piece of art or a, that you can just look at for hours or that, that music that touches your soul and it never gets old. We, we are surprised by this relationship that we have with God. Surprised by grace alone. And it's not because of anything we've done. It's a gift from Him. Lastly, I want us to think about the simplicity of salvation by grace alone. How does the saying go? Sometimes the simplest things are the hardest to grasp. Ephesians 2 
So many other places in the Bible, from Genesis to the life of Jesus, to the writings of Peter and Paul and John, they reinforce this simple aspect of the Christian message, that salvation is by grace alone. Not a result of works. Ephesians 2 is a verse that we memorize. Children, you remember this from our upward bound journey? By grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result as a result of works, so that no one may boast. One writer talks about Luther's discovery of this simple truth in the Reformation this way. Listen to this. What drove Friar Martin to post his theses was a spiritual insight. The Christian hope for eternal life he had come to believe was a divine gift that no human being, no matter how virtuous, could ever deserve. There was no penance for sin that could truly merit divine indulgence. Salvation, therefore, was not a reward, but an outright gift from God, bestowed out of the sheer abundance of His love for creation. Even though the message of salvation by grace alone is simple and powerful, it's one that's difficult for us to believe. It's hard for us to believe, and I think the difficulty for us to believe it stems from the same, uh, the same thing, stems from the same mistake. First of all, because we don't believe that Jesus Christ is enough, we think we've been disqualified from salvation. Because we don't think that Jesus Christ is enough, we're tempted to think that we've been disqualified from salvation. I bet you've heard these words in your own mind before or from your friends. I've gone too far. I've done too much. There are too many scars and wounds. I've hurt others. Others have hurt me. I'm damaged goods. I'm unsavable. I'm unlovable. I'm unredeemable. God's grace may be good for other people, but not me. I'm a lost cause. This is one of the hurdles to folks believing the gospel for the first time. But it's also an ongoing struggle for those who do believe the gospel. For those who are Christians, it's easy to be haunted by our past or to be fined by our current struggles and to think, Jesus has got to be tired of me by now. I'm just going to fall back into the same sin and the same pattern and the same struggle. I think I'm unsavable and unlovable and unredeemable. This is why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. This is why we need to remind one another about the love of God. But God, because of His great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. It's so hard to believe the gospel, especially when you walk through those dark times in your life. Salvation is by grace alone. It's so simple. It's so hard to believe at times. We need to ask ourselves, are we demonstrating, are we speaking, are we cultivating a culture in our church, in our lives, that really promotes 
salvation by grace alone in Jesus Christ. I think sometimes Christians can communicate, usually unintentionally, that the gospel is for everybody, but it's really for people who are pretty nice and can get almost all of their stuff together. We say the words, the gospel is for everyone, but sometimes I think we communicate otherwise. The church of Jesus Christ should be the kind of place where someone can come in who has burned their life to the ground. And we give them a cup of coffee, and we tell them we're glad you're here, and we tell them about Jesus Christ, and we hand them a Bible, and we say, here, read this. Welcome to our family. The message is simple. Salvation by grace alone, especially for messed up, broken, sinful people whose lives are a train wreck and a dumpster fire. Folks like me. Folks like you. Sometimes we don't believe the simplicity of grace alone because we don't believe Jesus is enough and we try to add to Christ's work for us. Sometimes we don't believe Jesus is enough so we don't think we can really be saved, but sometimes we don't think Jesus is enough and we try to add to Jesus' work so we can gain salvation. It's hard to believe the simplicity of the gospel because I just want to add a little bit on top of it. You know, I mean, I believe I need Jesus, but these things that I do also are what really make me okay with God. It's the icing on top. It's the cherry on top. At first glance, it seems absurd to think this way. If God's grace is absolutely free, if it's a free gift, if it's, if it's an extravagant gift poured out on us, why would we try to add to it? It doesn't make any sense, but we're tempted to do it, to try to add to it or think that we can touch it up. Do you guys remember a few years ago, a, a well-meaning resident of Borgia, Spain, decided that she would take the initiative to try to update a painting at the local church. It was over 100 years old. It was a fresco at the church. And uh, she decided she would uh, restore the painting. And uh, don't look now, but when you get home, look it up on the internet. It is painful. It is, it is awful. Uh, her attempt to make it better. When we think we can add to the grace of God alone, message of the gospel, we don't help. When we say Jesus plus something else is enough, Jesus plus my good works, Jesus plus my happy, comfortable life, Jesus plus adherence to these rules These are things that are going to make me okay and for God to love me. When we do that, we we make a mess of the message of grace from the gospel. Let's be honest, though. There's something that feels good about adding to the gospel message. Yeah, I need Jesus, but I'm really good at these things, you know. I need him a little bit, but uh, God really loves me because... Of Jesus plus 
my achievements or my obedience or the size of my bank account or my quick wit. Those things feel good, right? It's almost as if we could manage and control God's love and acceptance. That's manipulation. It's not the gospel. This is one of the reasons we need to keep coming back to the simplicity of salvation by grace alone because we can drift into thinking that we're loved and accepted by God because of how well we are or how well we're not doing in our lives. At the beginning, from the beginning to the very end, it's a message of grace alone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So, the grace alone message of the gospel reaffirmed and rediscovered through the Reformation 500 years ago is still a message that we need today. It's a message that should shape the way we live. Being fully forgiven and accepted by God gives us the freedom and the joy and the tools to pursue good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We don't pursue good works so God will love us. We pursue good works and we want to obey Him because God has loved us. And being fully forgiven and accepted by Christ gives us the freedom and the joy and the tools to pursue other people. To move toward folks in acts of kindness and mercy and grace and service and ultimately to move toward other people with the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. We have the best news. We have the most surprising, mind-blowing, earth-shattering news in the entire world that God loves folks like us and that He accepts us. Even though we've broken His commandments, He accepts us fully and freely because of His Son, Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is believe in Him. This is far from an intellectual pie-in-the-sky discussion It's day-to-day, real-life, practical. How do I love my neighbor? How do I love God? How can I reach out to folks in my community? How can I deal with my anxieties and my fears and my contentment? Why am I so angry? What about my prejudices? Why am I so selfish? Where do I go with my guilt and my shame? One of the keys to working through all of these things, whatever questions you're facing as a person, You can come back to this. But God. But God loves us. But God has made us alive together in Christ. Even when we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And if you understand that, that can be the first step in praying and asking for help and repenting and believing and obeying God and falling on your face and getting back up and keep moving forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's all of grace. Because it's all of grace, you can have good days and you can have bad days and you can rest in the work of Christ. 500 years, it still matters. Let's pray.